This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, Episode 41. This is Writing Excuses, fan writing. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm, I'm Howard. Oh, whoops. <laughs> Wait, which is which? I can't tell anymore. We're so oh, the no. same. And we have special guest star, star Chris Garcia. Hi, everybody. Chris is a Hugo Award-winning I fan. never get tired of hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> and also Hugo nom- nominated for his acceptance speech, yes. uh, which is one of the most meta things in the history of the Hugos. Um, and we're going to talk about fan writing. What is fan writing? I think a lot of people get confused when they look at the Hugos and there's a separate category for fan writer versus the fiction writing and things like this. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Fan writing is, its, it's most broad definition is very simple. It's any writing that don't pay your rent. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I have not paid rent to uh, prove that. Um, it, it really comes down to this. Fan writing has, there are lots of very fine definitions people try to give it. Mm-hmm. Um, writing is writing about fandom. Um, writing about a particular type of thing, like people who write about uh, Wheel of Time or this and that, mm-hmm. that's considered fan writing. But really, fan writing is just writing that you do because you love writing. Like all the writing everyone on this panel is going to do for the drink tank issue 400 at the end of the year. Uh, <laughs> and right there, I have an oral contract. Beautifully done, Chris. Isaac, stop the tape. <laughs> Wait, delete it. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, fan writing is really, and it's been, fan writing is as old as writing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's arguable that fan writing was first and professional writing was second. Um, and I'll stick to that because uh, it gives me a sense of purpose. <laughs> well, so I would assume that somebody wrote something long before somebody got paid for writing something. So, yes, that's got to be the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. I wrote thing. You stop writing thing. Go hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that was, the, that was the publisher's conversation with the author. Yeah. So does, does fan writing... We'd love to see the royalty conversation. <laughs> Get 15%. What is hoof? Who wants me? We want hoof and ankle. You hoof said 15%. <laughs> didn't say which. You eat antlers this winter. <laughs> Balls. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Um, Chris, I'm would you like to, Chris, to say something? No, you're, you're absolutely right. I think fan writing. I think fan writing came first. One of the places where I get confused is when somebody like John Scalzi or Jim Hines, who uh, I mean, they both won Best Fan Writer Hugo Awards, but they are professional. They're professional authors. Where is that line in the? How how does that? Well, that's actually a, an interesting uh, question. Um, as a guy who lost to both those dudes, it was a travesty of justice. Um, <laughs> um, but no, what it really comes down to is that they both do a significant amount of writing that is uh, not paid for for their blogs. Um, and occasionally, they'll send things out to other folks. Um, I've had both Jim and John write for me, for example. Um, and that, you know, and I've had many people on this panel. Mary is a number is one. Um, one is a number, sure. Um, will actually, you know, that will actually qualify as fan writing. Um, it does become sort of tricky when you look at the argument that, you know, um, if you're, if Neil Gaiman writes for a fanzine, is he eligible to be a fan writer? And, you know, the argument is, well, of course he is, but he probably shouldn't be. Mm. Um, and it sort of comes down to the uh, idea that the actual creator should judge where they're, they're best placed. 
And you know, we yeah. run into this with our podcast. Yeah. Um, and a, and a similar mm-hmm. thing is where does writing excuses the podcast belong? Because there is a fan cast category. Yeah. And we are not in it. Um, well, and, now that we have the anthology out, we should qualify for best novel. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's all one big volume. Or, no. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> no. I'm just screwing with it. No. Mm. No, but, but, I mean, I, I ran into that with uh, Lady Astronaut of Mars last year where it was, you know, it was moved out of the category I thought it should be in because I thought it was I thought it was a novelette, but they thought it was a dramatic presentation because it was in audio. But the but the, the point being with the the category that the person winds up in, for me, some of it is that that, that the Hugos are by and for the fans, mm-hmm. and you know professional writers, professional editors. There are other categories that we can win. Mm-hmm. And that the fan writer category for me is one that, you know, there is, that is, that, that's for people who are not eligible in other categories. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's part of it for me is that I feel like it, even though I, I feel like it would be inappropriate for me. Mm. Um, like I, I won't enter a masquerade. Oh, really? No, because there are other awards I can win. And for a lot of the people who are going into a masquerade, that is the, the award they can win, and it, it feels inappropriate for me. Oh, interesting. You know, uh, Phil Folio won Hugo Awards uh, two years running, I think, for Best Fan Artist back in 78 and 79 or 79 and 80. Mm-hmm. Uh, got nominated a third year, and at that point he had started submitting covers for the Robert Asprin series, and he told the committee, no, I, I don't want to be in this category anymore. I want to do this for a living. Now, now, saying that I think it's inappropriate is inappropriate for me. I, and this is, again, the and creators... I'm saying, yeah, and yeah, I'm the saying that felt the same way. Yeah, and the, mm-hmm. the, the creators should make their own call their on own whether or not... Like, like, I think that Jim absolutely, you know, feels and, and was appropriately in the fan writer category. But but I think it, it varies from person to person, let's which is what makes a little it so bit sticky. Less time on categories, and let's talk about actually doing the writing yeah. oh, and yeah. making a fanzine and kind of the like. Mm-hmm. Let, let's talk about the, just putting together a fanzine okay. and the history of fanzines because th- th- this is really interesting to me. Yeah. What is a fanzine? Where did they come from? And how do you put one together? Well, it's really easy. Fanzines came from actually, and this is sort of the weirdest thing is that I've been a lot of research into. Fanzines came out of the sports fandom tradition. Really? Um, there were fanzines in the late 1800s uh, uh-huh. for the various uh, booster groups doing like the New York Giants, uh, all those sort of baseball teams, uh-huh. and oddly enough, boxers and wrestlers. Um, I got really lucky that I got to find a, uh, there was a classic wrestler named William Muldoon, who uh, would eventually became the head of the New York uh, Athletic Commission. And he had a huge fan club, several thousand people around the world. And this is in the 1890s. And so there was a fanzine that was called Muldoon Strongmen. Um, and so it had all of his wonderful stuff. And it was incredible. And out of that came other fanzines in other areas. And we started to see the first sort of fanzines actually come out of a Lovecraft fandom. They were doing uh-huh. fanzine-like things. Right. Um, and then the real sort of kickoff of science fiction fandom zines was a thing called The Comet from one of the major uh, fan groups in the early 30s. And from there, once you had cheap mimeograph and cheap ways mm-hmm. of reproducing, bam, thousands of fanzines around the world. Um, at one point, there were 1,800 different titles being published in the U.S. alone. 
So, so let's let's distinguish. Historically, yeah. you've just told us that jocks built the thing nerds love. Yes, <laughs> um, it is rather shocking. Um, it is, and this is the weird thing. I really want to write a book someday about the crossover between wrestling fandom and science fiction. Oh fandom. yeah, That'd be really um, cool. I had a wonderful panel once with me and Dick Lupov, and we were talking about 1980s wrestling, and it was awesome. Uh, and he never wrote that article for me. So <laughs> let me distinguish here. Um, from my understanding, these are including both nonfiction and fiction pieces. Usually, yeah, they tend towards nonfiction, uh -huh. um, particularly nowadays, because there are so many outlets for fiction. Uh -huh. um, uh, there was sort of a there was sort of a distinction between a thing called Sircon, which is serious, constructive, uh, talking about fandom, uh -huh. uh, talking about uh, science fiction, and sort of. Uh, they call it fanish, which is more things like fan fiction, uh -huh. um, which was about fiction about fandom, not fan fiction taking other characters. Okay. But that also sort of folded into each other. Um, mm -hmm. And so nowadays you sort of see a lot of blending of those two. There was also a lot of, and something that gets really overlooked is there was a lot of poetry being published. Mm -hmm. um, oddly enough, um, the dude whose name I will never remember for the life of me, but it's a writer, um, actually published a lot of poetry in this fanzine called Grandfaloon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we are going to actually stop for our book of the week, and we're going to let Mary tell us our book of the week. That's right. The book of the week I'm going to recommend, I've talked about this series before. The latest is, uh, and, and the, the final in the series, is Dreams, Dreams of Gods and Monsters by Lainey Taylor. This is a wonderful series that is both urban fantasy and epic fantasy. It's about a parallel world to Earth where there are angels and demons. And it's wonderful. It's dealing with political issues. It's dealing with uh, prejudice and wars and gorgeously written. And the narration by Christi Christine Ham Ham is so good. This book makes me weep. Um, I normally take a break every two hours when I'm doing a long drive, and I was driving and realized I'd been in the car for five hours and that I needed to get gas and couldn't feel my legs. <laughs> so it's a really good book. I highly recommend it. Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Start a 30-day free trial membership. All right, Chris, one of our listeners, let's say, wants to start writing, doing fan writing. Mm -hmm. What do you suggest that they do? I suggest they write. Mm -hmm. And this is literally, this seems to be the easiest thing in the world is that to put words on paper for me. It's like something I do when I'm not even thinking. I occasionally wake up and will have a novel in my hand um, that I will have come up with through the night. It did not, not, might not have used actual words, but it's there. Oh. Um, it's, if you can just write, it doesn't matter what, yeah, sorry. Uh, it doesn't matter how you write, you're the one who determines what gets out there. Okay. And if you just put words to paper and you decide to put them out there, You've got a fanzine. So, so beyond the writing itself, what are the kinds of questions that a, a wannabe fan writer should ask themselves about, you know, what direction do I want to take this? I, I don't know what those questions would be. The three questions I, I think I will, and I apply this to all sorts of things throughout my life, is do you have something to say? What is it that you want to say? And how do you want to say it? Uh, if you are a fan writer who really wants to uh, get their ideas about art out, 
do you want to have do that through words? Do you want to do that through art? Do you want to, you know, are you someone who has a, a really love of graphic design? Um, do you want to have it be all written very standard in uh, justified margins? You want to have a very strange little cutouts? You know, it's find your vision. And it, it really it applies on all sorts of things. It's figure out what you want to do, if you have something that is really meaningful to do it for. And I mean, I have, of course, skipped that step. I have never done anything meaningful in my life. Um, but this one thing I will do and do constantly is I will say, you know why I want to do it? Because it's fun. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, one thing I think a lot of folks miss is, this is fun. Right. And it's something that I love to do. And I drag people in like Vanessa while just drag in with me on these little projects. And I hope that my infectious love of this thing will infect them. And Bradley Wojtek will is it? Uh, study it. Sorry, my, my daughter and I, uh, my, my daughter is an artist. Uh -huh. um, met Chris at uh, Convolution last mm -hmm. year. And I remember being, I, I, okay, so dad really wants his daughter to have a great art career. And, and I was nervous about approaching Chris about maybe, because I mean, I know her work is great, but maybe would he consider, and I talked to Chris about it and he looked at her and he's like, oh, I love having art. I, I love this, send me all your stuff. And I bring this up because, okay, maybe you disagree, but I bring this up because if you are a writer or if you are an artist and you are looking for an outlet other than your own blog, maybe email Chris yeah. because he does this magazine and that's an outlet where your fan writing, your fan art can appear. Absolutely. And it's one thing is having foolish friends is very useful. <laughs> um, and I, I luckily have a number of foolish friends who are willing to send me stuff. Um, uh, that art, by the way, that cover for Handicapping the Hugos last year, spectacularly wonderful. One of my favorite covers I've ever got to run. Um, and I'd love to have a cover from Howard someday. Um, but uh, again, oral contract. <laughs> um, that's recycle. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of wonderful things that you get, and you, you sort of build the community. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens on all these things, you know. How do blog communities happen? Well, people start commenting on your things, you start commenting on theirs, back and forth. People start writing for you, you start writing for other people, bang, something grows. And, you know, I, I've, I have about seven different zines that I do. And each one of them comes with a different community. You know, I have a steampunk zine that happens, I published a couple of steampunk things, people started sending me steampunk articles. I have a zine that is about uh, fandom that would do different themes, and uh, it's because me and my buddy James said, you know, it would be great if we could actually have some themes. And these things just keep happening and happening, and I keep getting dragged up in them. Well, and this is the beautiful thing about science fiction and fantasy fandom. Um, this is this is the core and the soul of it. That science fiction and fantasy came about really through the fandom roots. Exactly. Um, most of the writers, particularly if you look back at the you know the golden and silver age of science fiction, these are people who are fans first. That everyone's like, we love this stuff. Nobody's doing this stuff for us. Let's do it ourselves. And that's where a lot of the the magazines, where a lot of the writers came from. And there's this grand tradition of um, fandom creating its own community long before the internet was around that made it all so easy. And it's why this community is so tight-knit, and it helps people, you know, I'm, I have a career today because I went to conventions, and the people who organized conventions and were doing fan writing, a bunch of fans, you know, published my first fiction story. Um, I was a teen, and the people who ran the local fanzine also ran a contest at the convention. And they picked mine as the winner, and that was the first time it was stapled together, and they handed it to me and said, there you are, you're in, you're, you're in a magazine, and you are published. And this is where we come from, and I think we owe a great deal in our mm -hmm. community to the fan writers, the fan organizers, and the people who create fanzines. Absolutely. And the jocks. Yeah, yeah the jocks. jocks. <laughs> so, it, we, 
we are out of time. Um, I'm sorry. Um, I do have to call it here and ask um, for... Okay, one thing. Go ahead. I just want to... Is it safe to say that fan writing is basically geeking on paper? It's geeking on paper. That's okay. exactly what it is. Yes, and we do it a lot. <laughs> um, let's nice. do our writing prompt, Dan. Okay, our writing prompt is, you are going to uh, pick your favorite book or movie or play or whatever, and you're going to write something about it, but here's the rules. You're not allowed to do a review, you're not allowed to do a synopsis, and you're not allowed to do fan fiction. It has to be something else. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. No problem. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.